Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Review RN. Today, we're going to continue our discussion on shock. We spoke about anaphylactic shock in the last podcast, which is a distributive type of shock caused by introduction of an allergen, resulting in systemic reaction and histamine release. Today, we are going to talk about another distributive type of shock called neurogenic shock. Neurogenic shock is a type of shock resulting in hypotension, often with bradycardia, caused by disruption of the autonomic nervous system pathways. It can occur after damage to the central nervous system, such as a spinal cord injury or traumatic brain injury. Low blood pressure occurs due to decreased systemic vascular resistance, resulting from loss of sympathetic tone, which in turn causes blood pooling within the extremities rather than being available to circulate through the body. The slowed heart rate results from vagal response unopposed by a sympathetic nervous system response, and thus you can sometimes hear neurogenic shock referred to as vasogenic shock. So when I talk about a disruption of the autonomic nervous system, I'm specifically talking about disruption to the sympathetic nervous system with preserved parasympathetic activity. This typically occurs with patients, again, suffering a severe spinal cord injury at the level of T6 or higher. Disruption of sympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system affects three areas of the cardiovascular system, the coronary blood flow, the cardiac contractility, and heart rate. With preserved parasympathetic activity, this translates clinically into bradycardia and possibly other cardiac arrhythmias in the setting of profound hypotension. The parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for the body's rest and digestion response when the body is relaxed, resting, or feeding. It basically undoes the work of sympathetic division nervous system after a stressful situation. The parasympathetic nervous system decreases respiration and heart rate and increases digestion. The sympathetic nervous system is considered your fight or flight response by elevating our heart rate and our blood pressure, and to do this, it is contributing to vasomotor tone, which regulates the diameter of our blood vessels. It achieves regulation of our vessels and of our, the vessel diameter by controlling the release of neurotransmitters, specifically norepinephrine and epinephrine. These neurotransmitters lead to vasoconstriction and are delivered from the sympathetic nervous system by nerve fibers to the blood vessels themselves. 
So increased release of these neurotransmitters such as norepinephrine and epinephrine lead to significant vasoconstriction. And when there is not enough control over the release or a very diminished release of norepinephrine and epinephrine, we will have vasodilation or relaxation of the vessels. So again, with neurogenic shock, the patient is experiencing massive vasodilation because a sympathetic nervous system cannot regulate vasoconstriction of the blood vessels. And therefore, we are experiencing widespread dilation of vessels throughout the body, which is resulting in a decreased sympathetic vas- or systemic vascular resistance, I should say, which also leads to decreased afterload. Remember, afterload is the pressure the ventricle, or the, specifically the left ventricle, has to overcome to pump blood to the rest of the body. And this is essentially indicating low blood pressure. With massive vasodilation, this can result in venous blood pooling because it's not effectively being circulated and that venous return, meaning that deoxygenated blood being returned back to the heart, is poor. So you have blood that is not being circulated back to the heart because the vessels aren't able to constrict enough. There's very little systemic vascular resistance and now blood is becoming stagnant and pooling. This also then leads to a decrease of preload, resulting in significantly reduced cardiac output, which refers to the amount of blood the heart pumps per minute. Patients are also experiencing bradycardia due to the takeover of the parasympathetic nervous system. So if we remember that cardiac output equals heart rate times stroke volume, and during neurogenic shock, we have bradycardia, so a decreased heart rate in that equation, times decreased stroke volume because we have poor systemic vascular resistance with poor venous return resulting in poor preload and ultimately a low stroke volume. This all equates to low cardiac output. Lastly, patients are losing heat through the pooling of blood and the inability to regulate the body's temperature due to poor function of the hypothalamus, so they are hypothermic. So let's take a second and summarize these symptoms. Hypotension due to vasodilation, bradycardia, poor venous return resulting in decreased preload or decreased filling pressures in the heart. We have decreased cardiac output and we have hypothermia because we actually have a cold core temperature, but we have warm, dry skin. Like I said before, the risk for neurogenic shock is most often seen in patients with spinal cord injury at or above the level of T6, including cervical injury, spinal anesthesia, or they may be taking medications that can interfere with the autonomic system and specifically the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, Other causes can be a car accident that caused central nervous system damage or spinal cord injury. Some patients may have experienced a sports injury, a gunshot wound to the spine, Medications, again, that affect that autonomic nervous system, which regulates the breathing um, or other automatic body functions, or maybe they have improper administration of anesthesia to the spinal cord. Now let's talk about some treatments and nursing interventions. First and foremost, we want to focus on airway, breathing, and circulation. The ABCs are always important. We want to keep the spine immobilized to prevent further damage. This is done by using either a cervical collar to keep the neck in line and still. We want to make sure that we're log rolling the patient or using a a board to move the patient. 
Patients will likely require intubation with mechanical ventilation if respiratory failure occurs. We want to maintain tissue perfusion by increasing blood pressure or maintain a mean arterial pressure, a MAP, of 80 to 90 mmHg. Patients will receive fluids intravenously to regulate blood pressure. So if blood pressure remains very low, we can use vasopressors or medication that vasoconstrict and raise blood pressure. So we can administer uh, norepinephrine, we can administer epinephrine, dopamine, vasopressin, lots of different types of vasoconstricting medications that we can give to them intravenously. Dopamine is also a benefit in this situation because it also increases the heart rate. We always have to watch for fluid volume overload when we're dumping the patient with this excessive amount of fluids to restore their circulation. So patients need to be monitored for symptoms of fluid volume overload, such as crackles in the lungs, dyspnea, edema, or increased filling pressure, such as a rise in their CVP. In addition, if you have a slower heart rate, your doctor may prescribe you atropine or the patient atropine, and the patient may require temporary pacing if they remain bradycardic. Atropine blocks the parasympathetic effect on the heart, allowing the heart rate to come up. Other forms of treatment include hypothermia protocols that include warming devices. We want to make sure our patients are on DVT prophylaxis. They will need a Foley catheter to assess strict I's and O's. A range of motion exercises are used. Frequent repositioning to minimize pressure ulcers, developing on bony prominences, and monitoring vital signs closely. I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. Remember, you can always find me at Let's Review RN on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can always email me at letsreviewrn at gmail.com. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.